We're at Shallowford. If you've just joined us, why don't you have a seat, grab your Bible, and turn to John chapter 4. This morning, in our series on encountering Jesus, we come to an incredible encounter that if you've gone to church much in your life, you may already know the story. Every time in conversation with KK, who's back with the kids this morning, I'll say something about the story. She said, the account. <laughs> I said, okay, it's not a story like once upon a time, okay? But it is a story. It is a recollection. Remember, Jesus told the disciples that the Spirit was going to bring back to their mind what they had heard and what had happened. And what we have in this inspired account scripture in John chapter 4 you're going to think that we don't know how the Bible's laid out when next week we look at John chapter 3 but there's there's a reason okay we're in John chapter 4 this morning and every time you open your Bible I, I hope that you will be able to ask these questions what does it mean what does it call out of my heart and what should I do about it? Every time you sit with God and open your Bible, anywhere, if you're approaching the Word of God, you're asking, what does it mean? And what does it call out of my heart? I'm going to be careful to say, what does it say to me? I mean, yes, it does say to you, but it says what God intended when he wrote it, okay? So don't, don't make it say something you want it to say. But what does it call out of your heart as the Spirit takes his word and bubbles up inside of you the spring of living water to call your attention to the truth about who God is and how you know him? And what do I need to do about it? John chapter 4, you, when you turn to look at the woman at the well, you, you may not turn to those first few verses, say verses 1 through 3, you, you might come to verse 4 to set the scene. But let's, let's look at all of it. It begins by saying that Jesus learned the Pharisees had heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John. You know, it's, it's interesting that the Spirit led John to put a parenthesis in there and say, now, it's not because Jesus was baptizing. He didn't baptize someone. His disciples were. Now, why, why is that important to us? Well, can you imagine if you were living in Jesus' day and somebody said, well, Jesus baptized me. Well, John the Baptist baptized me. Well, I mean, it would have been like in Corinthians when they were saying, this one baptized me or this one baptized me. You saw baptism last week, and it's not important who baptizes you. It's that you know Christ and you publicly tell others. Okay, so don't, don't get too hung up in that. I believe that's part of why we see this here, to, to see the importance of being baptized. But Jesus didn't baptize, and his disciples did. But it's so interesting that that is listed as part of the reason he left Judea and went again to Galilee. Why? Well, anything we say, we're going to have to speculate because there's not much there. He, he didn't want the competition between John. He didn't want to invalidate John. He, I think the thing we can say more than anything else, it was not his hour. 
Remember how in the scripture he, he says, my hour is not yet come. The hour is coming. It was not his time to be publicly presented as Messiah yet. So he left. Notice what it says. He left and he had to travel through Samaria. Well, did he have to travel through Samaria? And why was that important? In this day, a proper Jew would not travel through Samaria because the Samaritans were seen as half-breeds. They were seen as some kind of distorted worshiper of God. And you have to know a little Old Testament history to get it. You know, the Old Testament does teach us a lot when we see the setting of Bible days. In the Old Testament, there was the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Remember, there were only three kings in the United Kingdom. And in the divided kingdom, the northern kingdom ultimately was overtaken by the Assyrians. And they took a lot of people out, but they brought foreigners in. And the people came in to this pure Jewish nation that had already become impure because there, there was not a single good king in the northern kingdom. And they brought in other people and they intermarried from those who were following the God of Judaism and those that were following the foreign gods. And they made up their own version of how to worship. Samaria. It was a place where a proper Jew tried to avoid they would actually add about five days to their travel to go around this place but Jesus had to go through Samaria why I'm gonna say that he had the compelling drive of the spirit of the father's purposes moving him to what we're about to read he moved because God was doing something. That might be if you're taking notes this morning. I didn't tell you to pick one of these up. But if you're taking notes this morning, that would be a place that we would observe that God is always working in ways that I cannot see. God is at work in people's lives. And we need to this morning as we look at this account of this woman at the well, let me, let me encourage you how I want to guide you to interact with Scripture this morning. We're going to watch Jesus evangelize. Now, normally, we wouldn't say it like that. But Jesus is presenting the truth to someone who is not a follower of God. And he is telling this person that God is already prepared. And he is moving into a place where God has prepared him to go. God the Son, honoring God the Father, moves to this place. And what happens? The scripture says that he came to a town of Samaria near, called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. I really wrestled this morning about how many things to dive into. Boy, no pun intended on this well. But uh, how many things to dive into to try to lead you through in historical setting. And I'm going to have to resist trying to go into this land that had been given in Joseph. Probably they say you can actually go to this place today nearby and find what they claim to be Joseph's grave. You remember Joseph wanted his bones taken 
from Egypt taken back into the land. So you kind of get the picture that God's been working there a long time and God's been doing very special things. And here we see him come to this well and I want you to notice it says, verse 6, Jesus worn out from his journey. What we're about to encounter is the God-man, all God, all man, Jesus interacting with this woman. If someone were to ask you to describe Jesus, if you had to put it into one word or phrase, one modifier, what would you say? I learned that the best way I can describe him, he is the infinite God-man. That's who he is. And I would challenge you to let that ring in your head and in your heart. That's who he is. He is the God-man. He is the infinite God-man. The Bible says that after the journey, it was about noon, and Jesus was tired. He was weary. We've been doing a whole lot of work around this place we call Coleman Hill. My father-in-law had more junk behind the fence than you can imagine. I invite you to come. We've been getting rid of it, and we still have a lot, all right? But I'm telling you, it seems like every time I go behind that fence, I come back to the house, and wearied would be an understatement of how I feel. Just imagine Jesus has been on this journey with his disciples. It's high noon and he's tired. And the Bible says he sat down there by the well. And it was about noon. Now, the disciples had gone into the town to buy some food. Which in and of itself is something worth talking about. That they went into a Samaritan place to buy some food. But Jesus is there and this woman comes to the well at about noon. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Now think about this. Why did she come at noon? Most of them would come early in the morning to have water for the day or late in the day to have water in the evening and water the next day. And going to the well was a place where women could hang out together and have a little fun talking along the way. You can read any historical account you like. The men would be working in the fields and the ladies would draw the water. It was not that Guys didn't want to draw the water. It was the way they did the divided labor in in the household. It was the assignments that were given. And drawing water for the women was a time of, we would call, fellowship. A time to interact and be together. But this woman comes alone. We're going to see in a moment why she came alone. Because she did not want to be around the other women because she had such a bad reputation. She was known as an adulterer. And she didn't want to have to put up with the women looking down on her. She came to the well, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Look at her response. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink to me, a Samaritan woman? She asked him, and then it says, for the Jews do not associate with Samaritans. That word, do not associate or have nothing to do with, depending on what your translation says. It's not only that they would not interact, they would not touch or take anything from a Samaritan, or they would become defiled. And here he is, not only a proper Jewish guy, but a rabbi, saying to her, give me a drink. Now this lady, 
I'll call her lady. Sometimes I, I call someone a lady, KK says, ah, I think you can call her a woman, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure she's a lady. Well, she's, she's about to get ladyized, all right. But this woman, as she, she says to him, I mean, watch her. She's used to people talking down to her. She's, she's quick. She's, she's able to defend herself. And so she says to him, I don't get it. Why are you asking me to give you water? Why, are you, why do you even speak to me? And certainly you're not going to drink from my cup. And look at how Jesus answers her. If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. You know, salvation is described here in this passage. It's described as the gift. That word gift is the word free gift. If you knew the free gift of God and who who is it? The infinite God-man. If you knew who was saying this to you, you would be asking me for a drink, and you would be asking that I would give you living water. Now, what do we observe when we read that verse? Remember, we're trying to say, what does it say, and what does it call out of my heart? Here's what it calls out of my heart. Salvation is always a gift from God. Always. Salvation is never based on what we do the scripture says we cannot earn it we cannot deserve it salvation is a gift from God it's easy for us to think about salvation to some proper religious person it's easy for us to think about somebody who's moral and upright having a relationship with God it is hard for us to imagine somebody that in our thinking is far away from God could have a relationship with God but let's face it, if we don't have a relationship with God, all of us are far from God, right? If we don't have a relationship with God, all of us are separated. Jesus goes beyond her reputation. He goes beyond her birthrights as a Samaritan as opposed to a proper Jew. He goes beyond the fact that she's a woman and a man would not. He breaks all kinds of barriers when he says to her, her if you knew the gift of God who is saying to you oh my friend if we could understand today the gift of God Jesus speaking to us by his spirit how would we react salvation is always a gift of God so the fact that it was hard for us to imagine this woman and what's about to happen, it was not hard at all for Jesus to imagine because there's a deep longing in everyone's heart to have a relationship with God. Notice how it responds. Verse 11, you see her response. Sir, interesting if you look behind that it's it's lord she's not acknowledging him as lord of all she's but she's acknowledging him with respect sir you don't even have a bucket and this well is deep where do you get this living water and as this thought's bubbling up in her she says and, and by the way i mean are you better than our father jacob he gave, he gave us this well to drink from. He drank from him himself, and he gave it to his sons and his livestock. Are you telling me that you're more important than our religious fathers? 
Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up in him for eternal life. I I have to pause and ask you, the deep longing of your heart. How was this woman trying to satisfy her longing? We're about to learn that she had been married five times and that the guy she was living with at that time was not her husband. How was she trying to satisfy the longing of her life? She was thinking she could get it from someone else. She was thinking that she could, in expressing herself as essentially, it almost feels like not just an adulterer, but almost like a prostitute, that she would be giving her body away, thinking that that would be what would satisfy her. And yet Jesus could see right into her and understand the deep longing of her soul that she needed living water, not just water from this well. She said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. But she still got this little twist to what she's saying. And come here, I don't want to have to come here and draw water again. (laughs) So if this is going to work, then then give me this thing that's going to keep my bucket full. Because I'm trying to figure out what this conversation is really about. And so Jesus takes it to a new level when he says, then go and call your husband and come back here. The next thing I, I saw from this passage is the confrontation from God's always going to get really personal. When God puts his holiness on display, it still gets very personal with us. Because something in us says, I'm not like that. I, I can't be good enough to get that. So Jesus, recognizing that this is about to get into some kind of debate, he says, okay, lady, go and get your husband and come back here. And she said, I don't have a husband. He said, you got that right. For you've been married five times, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. So what you've said is true. Look at her response. Sir, I see that you're a prophet. You think? (laughs) I mean, she'd never met this guy before. And he's saying to her, "I I know all about you. I know exactly who you are. I know how you're trying to satisfy the longing of your heart. And, sir, I see you're a prophet. Now watch this. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews say that there's another place to worship, to worship in Jerusalem. Now what was she doing? Well, she may have been asking a genuine question of what's the difference between how we worship and how you worship? Or she may have been bringing up an objection to see if she can not talk about the real thing. When you talk to someone about a relationship with God, it's real easy for that to turn to a question that has nothing to do with a relationship with God. They're trying to see if they can skirt around the personal application to get into something that's theological, that's Debatable. Well, you know, some people worship like that. Some people worship like that. I'll never forget that day that I went to 
pick up some pizzas. We, we had a second campus in the church I pastored in North Carolina. We were over there putting the final stages on it, getting the, and the pun is intended there. Uh, we were working on the stage. We were, we were getting everything ready to go for worship. And I said, hey, guys, let me run grab some pizza. So I went down to the little pizza place nearby, and I walked in, and the guy had to prepare them. And I, I you know, said, hey, can you give me a break? You know, tried to get a deal, a lot of pizzas. He had a little sign that said they help churches and schools. <laughs> you know, so I'm, I'm there negotiating the price. So he gives me a, a, a good price on a number of pizzas. And then he says to me, so what kind of church is this? And I told him, you know. We're a Bible-believing church. We don't really focus on a particular way. You know, I don't, I don't want to get into the debates. We're, we're trying to help people know I have a relationship with God. I said, so tell me about your background. He said, well, I said, I've, I've traveled many places in the world. Don't hold back on me, man. Where, what's your background? So he started telling me of his background as, as a Muslim. And as he started to talk about what he believed, I'll never forget the question he asked. He said, could I ask you a question? You seem like a man that might could help me. I said, sure. He said, there's a little group that comes in here, and they, we, I let them use this room over here. And they, they go into this room, and they, have, they study the, the holy book. He said, but the reason they do that is because they're upset with this pastor over here at this other church, and they say they're going to be starting another church. Uh, how does that work? <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget. He said, is it the same holy book? And I went, hmm. Well, let me describe it this way. You could go to one country and you could hear the imam as he stands and he motivates the people to be very angry and to be very uh, upset with everything in the world. And you could go to another place and you could hear the imam and he would stand up and he would talk about peace and he would talk about humbling yourself. Is, is that the same holy book? And he said, ah. I said, you may have teachers that emphasize different things, but the point I want to emphasize is if it's really the Bible, it's going to be talking about having a relationship with God through Jesus. Expect it. When you start having a spiritual conversation with someone, something's going to come up. It may be a genuine searching, or it may be a way to avoid it getting too personal for them. But notice how Jesus answers. Jesus says, true worship is really a matter of the heart. Look at how he said it. Jesus said, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Now, why is that important? Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is coming from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here. Now, let's just stop and figure out what he's saying there. You see, the Samaritan wor worship had set up a temple, Mount Gerizim. You can go find it in the Old Testament at the Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law, you would see, you could see this place mentioned. So they had set up a different temple in a distorted, in the, in the Jewish mind, a cultic way of worshiping there. But he said, we're not going to talk about 
whether you worship here or you worship in Jerusalem. Because the day is coming when where you worship is not going to make a bit of difference in the world. But who you worship is going to make all the difference in the world. Can we be reminded of that today? How often do we have to say God doesn't live in this house? God doesn't live in this building? You don't come into this building just so you can meet God and then you leave him here when you go out. Because if you know God, he has come to dwell in you and give you that spring of living water from within. And if you don't know God, then you may sense something special when you get together with other believers who are talking and singing about him. But listen, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Notice how Jesus says that. Worshippers, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And don't miss this next part. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship him. He is seeking people to worship him. Did you know that God is seeking worshipers today? Now, if we have English teachers in the house, I looked it up. It can be spelled with two Ps or one, okay? And it's still being debated in the dictionary. I, I say one P is going to win, you know. But I, right now, I, I put it in there. But focus, get your attention here. Who's a worshiper? God wants worshipers. God is in the business of seeking to reclaim his creation, to bring worshipers to himself. And true worship will always be in spirit and in truth. What does that mean in spirit and in truth? Can you see how you've got series in this one text that you could just go and spend a lot of time studying your Bible and taking deeper dives into these things? In spirit, it's in your heart. It's a matter of the heart. And unless you are opening up your heart to him and his spirit bearing witness with your spirit that you're a child of God, there's no true worship. God doesn't call it worship. God calls it religious activities that people go through. You've talked this morning about worship. I've been into places overseas. I, I've seen the, the shedding of animals' bloods. I've seen people doing dances and sprinkling water and flowers. I, I've seen all kinds of things that people call worship. And my heart's so broken as I think, True worship only comes in spirit and in truth in the heart that's lined up with the truth about Jesus. What is this truth about Jesus? That we are sinners and we cannot save ourselves, and that he shed his blood to pay for our sin and bring us back to himself through the satisfaction of God's holiness and the payment of our sin on the cross. So get this, Jesus said, it's not going to be Mount Gerizim. It's not going to be a Mount, Temple Mount over in Jerusalem. It's going to be at a different mountain, the one called Mount Calvary, where Jesus was crucified. And that's going to be the source of the spot when you learn what it means for individual to worship because true worship focuses on 
the Messiah. By this time, this woman is getting very intrigued by what she's hearing from this guy. And she said, I know the Messiah is coming who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. What did Jesus say? He said, I, the one speaking to you, am he. Oh, church, I just wish you could get the point of how rich this is. That Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, chose to reveal his calling and who he was to a despised Samaritan woman. That is so powerful when you see that Jesus, this is the first time we've heard it from him. We've heard John's witness. We've heard John the Baptist's witness. But now we hear Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. This woman, as she's hearing him reveal his true nature and calling to her, about that time the disciples came back. And it's a funny exchange when you see what happened with the disciples. The disciples came back first. They said, notice how John writes it. They were amazed he was talking with a woman, but they didn't say anything about it. <laughs> you know, it was like they said, okay, we, we see him talking to this woman, but rabbis shouldn't be speaking to a woman, and nobody should be speaking to a Samaritan, though they must have spoken to somebody. They bought food in a Samaritan town. I mean, you know, they, they had to have some exchange. But they came back, and the woman left her water jar. I've heard entire sermons preached, and the title was Leaving the Water Jar. <laughs> I mean, she, she, something had happened to her. The whole purpose that she came to the well was to get water, but she left the jar, and she went back, and she said to everyone, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Can you imagine the looks on their faces? When she said, come and see the guy who's, who told me everything I've ever done. Yeah, right. I mean, but she was so convinced, she said, could this be the Messiah? So they left the town, and they started making their way out. But in the meantime, the disciples kept saying, Rabbi, eat. You've you got to get the picture of this. They are so excited that they're leaving to come out to hear Jesus. The disciples had been in the town, and nobody came back out with them. Uh, there's no evidence at all that they told anybody that they had the Messiah out on the outskirts of town. They didn't bring anybody to come worship Jesus, but the lady who had just been radically encountered with him, she has people following her back out. And they're saying, Rabbi, eat. I love the way Jesus responded. I have food that you don't know about. And look what they did. Verse 33. Did somebody give him something to eat while we were gone? I mean, you think that lady had a lunch basket or something? I mean, how'd that, how'd that happen? Why is he not hungry? He was weary and hungry when we left him, and he's telling us he's already eaten. He's got food, and look how Jesus responds. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Hey, listen, get this. There's nothing more satisfying in your life than living and doing the will of God. Nothing. Nothing more fulfilling in your life than speaking the truth about God to someone else. 
I remember the first time I ever shared Christ with someone. I was talking and I was quoting verses that I didn't even know I knew. I mean, I was telling, I was explaining things that I didn't know I could explain. And at one point it was like I almost, now here, I'm saying almost, okay. <laughs> but it was almost like an out-of-body experience where I'm sitting over here going, hmm, didn't know you knew that. I mean, what is, what's going on there? Think about it, folks. If you've never shared Christ with anyone, if you've never told anyone the good news about Jesus, there's a food that God has prepared for your soul that can be so rich when you speak of him and tell someone else who needs to know him. And then Jesus begins to explain the harvest. He says, don't say this till four months and then comes a harvest. I'm telling you, if you'll just open your eyes, you'll see the fields are already ready for harvest. Some have said, about that time, the people were coming out of the town. I think it's a cool picture. I don't know if it was really happening or not. But he said, look, you you think there's four months to the harvest looking at the ground? He said, look, the harvest is already here. I mean, the people are coming out to hear Jesus. The sower and the reaper can rejoice together. If there's anything we need to get about spiritual harvest is we don't have to tear up the ground, plant the seed, nurture the plant, and pick the fruit. We just find our place in the harvest. There's sometimes you talk to people and what you're sharing with them is just you're helping break up the ground. There's sometimes you talk to someone and you're just removing a rock. There's sometimes you talk with someone and you're planting a seed. There's sometimes you talk with someone and you're watering the seed. There's sometimes you talk to someone, and I promise you, if you ever get to be there to reap the fruit of someone putting their trust in Jesus, you did not cause it. Somebody before you caused it. Some grandmother prayed for her grandson to know Jesus. Oh, if we could get a picture of the harvest and how the Lord of the harvest does his work. And he just calls us to find our place in his harvest. And the last observation that I make as I look through this story is how it ends. In verse 39, many Samaritans in the town believed because of what the woman said. That was the first part. I mean, they thought, if anybody can meet this lady and already knows she's had five husbands and she's not living with a husband, and he's never seen her before, and then we hear this testimony that she gives about meeting him and what kind of guy he was, and he's the Messiah, they they were believing because of that. But notice verse 40. When the Samaritans came to him and asked him to stay with him, and he stayed for two days, and many more believed of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. We have heard it for ourselves. You can't trust Jesus for your children. You can't trust Jesus for your grandchildren. You can't cause your husband or your wife or your best friend put their trust in Jesus but you can find your place in God's harvest 
and you can pray they can come to the place they say I don't just believe because of what you said I believe him for myself that's the longing that needs to be satisfied in every soul now my longing for you this morning is that this story would stir up in you a desire to be a part of telling the world about Jesus. Notice the last phrase in verse 42 in this whole account. We know that he really is the Savior of the world. Isn't that interesting that Samaritans would be among the first to get a clear picture that Jesus didn't just come for the Jews, but he came through the Jews to win the whole world, to bring worshipers from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people back to the throne. What a great testimony that they could see and say what they said. And my longing this morning for you is that you would see something about the big plan of God that you would see that people that you encounter every day, God's already been working in their lives. That you would see the people that, that when you are put in a certain place at a certain time, that God's already been working before you got there. He's going to be working after you leave. And you've got a role to play at that moment as you meet someone as a follower of Jesus. So, the Bible calls the pastor, teacher, the equipper. And as we share God's word with you every week, we're seeking to equip you. Because the Bible says the work of ministry is done by you. And we get to do it because we're followers of Christ too. But this is not ministry of what I'm doing here. This is not the exclusive ministry of the church. The ministry of the church is not just the church gathered, but the church scattered. When you leave here as a representative of Christ, you're equipped to do ministry. And if we can't help you know how to share your faith, we have failed as pastors. We've got to help you know how to tell this great message. I mean, you can start by just doing what the lady did. <laughs> I just know that God knows everything about me, and he's initiated a relationship with me. I mean, that's a pretty good start. And people can read your heart and see if what you're saying you really believe or not. I don't want to say but. <laughs> Additionally, <laughs> if we can help you not just share your testimony, but share the truth and good news about Jesus with someone else, that's part of the equipping. So I want to end today by giving you this little acrostic that might help you understand what God may be doing when you encounter someone. First, be friendly. You know, there are times I get mad when somebody pulls in front of me in traffic. Do you ever do that? Uh, there are times I go in the store and I think, I ought to be the manager of this store. I mean, this is just ridiculous. I can't believe. I talk to somebody on the phone and I think, really? That's what your company wants me to think about? As It's hard to always be friendly, okay? But if I am a representative of Jesus, I need to learn something about laying down my rights, even when I confront something, to not do it in a demeaning, demanding way. And you know, if, 
if we are genuinely in the aroma and the fragrance of Christ as we talk with someone else, there's something about the way we love that makes people want to see who we follow. Be friendly. But I want to challenge you to be intentional. Intentional in that you're going to try to move the conversation from the familiar to the spiritual. To have a genuine spiritual conversation. It's not that hard to talk to people about their brokenness. Everyone's got some kind of brokenness going on. Physically, emotionally, relationally. And when you move to take it from a surface friendship to a genuine, intentional caring for the soul, people can tell if you're doing it just because you're trying to check off that you had a spiritual conversation and go tell somebody about it, or if you really mean it when you're interacting with someone. But in that intentionality, I want to challenge you to share the good news about Jesus. Learn how to know the gospel so well that you could give it to someone else. To understand that the wages of our sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus. You can just memorize one verse and learn how to tell the good news of Jesus to someone else. And for those of you that are beginners in learning how to share your faith, if you will go to shallowford.church slash Jesus. I mean, you ought to be able to remember that, all right? Shallowford.church slash Jesus. You will see a simple three or four minute gospel presentation called the three circles that I would encourage you to look at because it talks about brokenness and how to help somebody find Jesus in the middle of their brokenness. So be friendly, be intentional, share the gospel, and here's the last. Help them take the next step. Because you may realize that you weren't sent there that day to harvest. But you were sent there that day to break up the ground, to move away a rock, to plant a seed, to nurture a plant. Stay involved in their life as God does a work to bring them to a personal relationship with Jesus. I don't know about you, but this encounter with this woman at the well is very challenging to me. As we watch Jesus present himself as the Messiah. What about you? Would you bow your head right now? As we prepare for a closing song, let me ask you, do you have a relationship with God through Jesus? Have you put your trust in him? Has he confronted you personally to challenge you to know the truth about him and the truth about yourself? Has he spoken to your heart and said, I know everything about you and I love you and I want a relationship with you? Because the Father is seeking worshipers. And the way you worship is you worship from your heart through the work that Jesus did on the cross. Today, if you've never trusted in him, you can pray a prayer like this.
God, I know I'm a sinner. I know I need a Savior. And I ask you to forgive me of my sin and change me from the inside out. The exact words that you use are not important. God's looking at your heart, telling him that you know your need and you believe he died to pay for your sin. And he was raised from the dead to come and live in your heart to change you from the inside out. Whoever will call in the name of the Lord will be saved. If you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you can be saved. Today as we've looked in the scripture about someone separated that needed to be saved, needed to come to Christ, who's come to your mind? Anyone you work with? Anyone in your family? Are you available to be that vessel finding your place in the harvest? Will you say to God, would you use me, God, to speak to someone else like this woman told what you'd done for her? I found that often in a time of worship like this, God will speak to me about something very personal that I need to agree. Maybe my own sin, it may be someone I long pray for that need to know Jesus whatever's going on in your life right now would you just say yes to God as a part of this prayer